0: Welcome back to the Proven World Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Scola, joining you here from Buenos Aires, Argentina. <laughs> and I'm joined by my my co-host, Mano Ginobili or sorry, Peter Galindo. I'm actually Brian Birdie. Sorry about that. I, I know, I know, I fooled you. I know you thought it was Luis Scola, but I'm not. I know, it looked like it, but I'm not. I'm joined by Peter Galindo. Hi, Peter.
1: Uh, I think Christopher's face palm just says it all there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing well. Nothing else to say. That was a. I don't know what kind of an opening that was. I don't know if it was fantastic or terrible. I'll let Christopher decide. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I am the very
2: ashamed co-host, Christopher Viscardo.
0: Oh, Christopher, I'm going to
2: introduce you. How
0: are you, Christopher? You self-introductory man.
2: I'm doing well. Joining you from a different place, as you can see. And also sporting my away kit today, getting ready for that good game against Australia.
0: Speaking of Australia, they've released the World Cup squad, and that's the first thing we're going to talk about in this podcast. First things first, uh, Australia, they... um, they're a decent side. They're not. They're not great. Uh, they, they're going to be very unidentifiable, though. I think in this World Cup because they've been playing with a set system for the past three years now. I want to say, and they, they they're going to have a new manager who's just going to change everything up, and he doesn't have much time to do it because Ange Postecoglou is uh, retired. Uh, he resigned right after the uh, win over Honduras. So. Gonna quickly get up the squad here because I completely forgot. Peter, why don't you start while I get this up uh, on what you think of the squad and what do you think who should be a danger man and uh, how do you think you're gonna approach the game Peru?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the th- interesting parts about this squad um, for those of us who, I mean, like me, have kind of kept track with what Australia has been doing um, is Anteposticoglu has ba- had basically identified what was almost like what Gadeca did with Peru like an ideal 23 players that he always calls up and then a set 11 maybe with the odd change or two depending on suspensions or injuries but van Marwick has given opportunities to a lot of young players many of them based in the a-league um there is a still a problem at right back so he's been trying to call out different players to fill that hole um he's gone away from the 352 that Boticalu deployed into more of a 4231. And based on the two friendlies that Australia played, I believe it was against Norway and Colombia, they did not look too comfortable in it, which you can totally understand because it's brand new for them. And in terms of how they'll approach the game against Peru, I mean, you would assume they're going to deploy this system that kind of mirrors what Peru's going to do as well. But I don't have too much confidence in their chances against them. They do obviously have some very, very good players. I look at mainly uh at Tom Rogic as the one player I think who can really hurt them he has shown up in most big games for Celtic be that in the Champions League or in the old firm against Rangers and he has a knack for scoring against Rangers in the old firm and he has also had a knack for scoring a big goal for Australia as well so that's one player that I think and he's definitely going to be on this squad that's one player that Peru should really be watching out for
0: Tom Rogers is a bit weird though. I mean, I, I could see him starting at the World Cup now with a different manager, but with Andy Postacoglu, he wasn't starting very much. So it was always Irvine Moy, and I think he was himself. I forgot. I think the third one was Milligan. I know Milligan was in the midfield, and, or no, he was in the fence actually. He, uh, I forgot about that. He's usually in the midfield a but he was playing in the defense for Andy Postacoglu. Sorry about that. Right, it was Jeninak, Irvine, and Moy. That's what it was. But I think Rogers is going to start now. It's... Problem Australia is you have a load of midfielders, and I think Rogers is definitely the second best, but I think he plays a little bit too similarly to Moy, in my opinion, and that's kind of a problem for them. So now as the right backs, uh, I do agree that they they've struggled there because I think Josh Risden in particular has had the greatest season with Western Sydney Wanderers this year, yeah, especially because especially we considered Western Sydney missed out the playoffs this season in the A League, so. I mean, that's not the only reason. I've seen Western Sydney. I didn't think it was that great this season, but I think that's definitely the the flank to, to exploit. As long as you don't know Flores is number six, then we'll be fine there, I yep. think. <laughs> now, I, I could go on and rave about Arzani being on the squad, but this is not an Australian podcast. This is a Peru podcast, but I do kind of hope he doesn't get selected. He's a live wire, I have to say. he is. He's a talent. He's the next upcoming Australian talent. He reminds me... A lot of similar players, we have very technical, very hard to stop on the ball. And yeah, he's just, he's just dynamic. He goes forward all the time, never looks back. And uh, yeah, of course, we also have to talk about Tim Cahill. Now, yeah. Tim, Tim Cahill, well, would it be good if they leave him out of the squad, or would you think they should put him in the squad, and that would be better for us? Because I, I don't know. He's he's way past it, in my opinion. But he's also clutch in big moments, like he was in Syria, for example. Christopher i to you, do you think Tim Cahill if he's in the squad or out of the squad, what we'll benefit Peru more?
2: Nah, I don't think we need to we have a reason why we should be scared of Cahill. Cajol. It's kind of I kind of compare him to like our Pizarro situation a little bit. And of course it's it's obviously different that Pizarro hasn't been a national team for at least two years, while Kehole does come, you know, does have a regular appearances with the Socceros. But honestly, I think his age. I mean, he's he's past his prime, and even though any player can have moments of uh, of talent, of spark, of deciding games, I think that Peru can do a pretty good job controlling him. I mean, he doesn't really worry me as much as uh, the young guy from from Croatia that they just recently called up. That what I thought was kind of an interesting call up, and what something that the Australian media was also talking about was. Uh, Kerisic, right? I believe he is probably 19, and just like you said about uh, Arsani, I don't think he's going to make it to the to the final squad. But it's also interesting to see that he that the Australian coach right now is using his preliminary call-ups, kind of what we said that Gareca might do with the Peruvian call-ups kind of showing some of those young players, giving them a thumbs up, that they're going, doing the right thing, that they're going in the right direction and kind of uh, rewarding rewarding them. Uh, now, I don't think Arsani or Kersek uh, are probably going to make it, like I said a second ago. Someone that else that I did want to bring up, though, was uh, someone that I thought was very interesting, especially in the game against Colombia that they played in England, uh, Massimo Luongo. I don't know about you, but he looked really good with the ball, and he had a few of those plays where he really gave a lot of uh, a lot of grief to the Colombian defense. I don't know if you guys know about him. Yeah, no,
0: Luongo, I'm quite familiar with him. He, I, I completely forgot, but he was actually the other defender that uh, Angie Postacogli used. He likes to use four, I think. Uh, I said Jenna Moy and Irvine, but there was also Luango in there because he uses. A very a very weird system but he he tried to make use of australia's midfield depth as much as possible so uh luongo, another one to watch out i think one that i really like a lot of melbourne victory fans are going to disagree with me but i think james therese is one of the best players on the squad uh melbourne victory fans don't like him don't know why he's a brilliant player every time he's played for australia he's been absolutely brilliant peter are there any other danger players we should watch out for do you agree with me and christopher on luongo troisi
1: Yes, I do. Uh, Both quality players. The one thing I would disagree with, though, that Christopher brought up is on Cahill. I don't necessarily um, disagree with the notion that, in general, he won't be dangerous. But we also have to remember Peru is absolutely awful at defending set pieces and crosses. And Cahill is tremendous in the air. And even as he's approaching 40 years old, he is absolutely impeccable at getting his head to a ball in the box. So that is one area that I think Peru should be really careful in. Especially when Cahill is on the pitch, um, because that is one area where Australia could really hurt the national team.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, that's, if you remember, I know he's, like he said, he's 40 years old, but if you remember in the last World Cup, uh, Chile was 2 0 no up against uh, Australia, but Cahill absolutely slaughtered him in the air. And uh, that, Chile's height has similar height
2: problems that Peru has. So you got to watch out for those. Well, but the but the best defence offense, I think that if Peru keeps the ball on the ground with that Peruvian style of theirs and they do not let Australia find those set pieces, then hopefully that shouldn't be too much of an issue. Well we gotta we gotta we gotta remember that Chris
0: Ford gave us a lot of trouble too in the air. So uh, That's if, true. if Chris will gave us trouble, not sure what Cahill will do. I mean I know Cahill's shorter and but I think he's better in the air, much better in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing is okay uh, wasn't as fast as wood though at least not anymore so that's that's my uh that's that's the good thing uh that's the thing I'm um, relieved about I think and yeah Australia should be an interesting game uh, Denmark and France have not released a squad yet so we're not gonna talk about them right now and um, we should release the squad on around the 14th that's what I read it I read it, or our squad will be around the May 14th so look out for that so we won't do a preliminary squad Three point though, that's pretty much done. We might do a, um, and this is just a might. We might pick our 23 players. That might be kind of pointless because we know who they're gonna be, but maybe we'll have them a surprise too. So we'll see.
2: So, anyways, yeah. the next before podcast- we on, before we we move on, one one more thing. I I just obviously I'm, I'm not an Australia expert, but just I did try to analyze a little bit of the squad, and I counted about the their team. They list released a list of 32, right? At least twenty-five of those players were twenty-five or up and at least seven of those players were thirty or up in age. Okay. Also, most of them play in only five play in their local league from the call ups. Most of them play in Europe and Asia. And in top first division top leagues in Europe, I think I only counted one, maybe two. So it kind of made me feel like it was a similar, a, a bit similar, like uh, like Peru's call-ups will probably be, but with with the difference that in in general I think our players are younger than theirs.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely are in the middle of a more bigger process. I think Australia has kind of stagnated over the years. Uh, maybe maybe not as good as the 2006 side. I think that was definitely their their golden age. But 2015 was very good, but since then they've not they've gotten a little bit worse They've not been they're not kept the same it's, i guess they didn't really stagnate but they're, they're still there's still a good side and they're, they're a team that can give the big teams a lot of trouble like they gave Chile a lot of trouble in the confederations cup and uh well no i'm not going to say germany cuz they lost in that confederations cup game and i thought they were awful too in that game so that was um that's definitely we just got to watch out for them so we we can't we definitely can't underestimate them because that's that would be a mistake especially against side like them who can be effective. Well times. It depends on that they're a bit inconsistent, but discussion for another time. Anyways, let's move on. So we're gonna talk about the torneo banana final, the first leg. Uh Sport on Kyle drew one one sport against out of the goals by Carlos Neum- sorry that, Carlos Neumann and Gabriel Costa. So Christopher, I-, I want to get your thoughts on this game first. Um what what, what were your takeaways from this what were some key things you wanted to bring up, and uh, what are your expectations for the second leg?
2: It was actually a, quite an interesting game. I uh, it was really enjoyable to watch. I think that Cristal did a pretty good job, even though they were supposed to be, uh, you know, struggling because it's in Huancayo and because there's altitude uh, and all of that. I think they actually showed us a pretty decent game. Both sides uh, played really well. I wanted to point out. Uh, especially i would say jandesa had a really good game for huancayo i was i was actually kind of surprised because he's kind of been uh, on the down low and uh, you know kind of he seems to be starting to to become a regular for Juan Caio. it's uh, it was it was really interesting it it kind of reminded me of it back in the day when he was uh, with the uh, peru team in in 2013 with the u20s and how good he was at that tournament. And it kind of reminded me of his, his whole days. I think Juan Caio was relying heavily on him, and he was doing a good job. But unfortunately, he doesn't seem to be quite quite in shape yet to play full 90 minutes. And you could really tell the difference in the field once he once he left, uh, and once he was taken out and, re- and replaced by... Um, I can't remember where he, he was replaced for, but it felt like Juan Caio kind of died down a little bit after that and it was they weren't as as well as they had been playing before but honestly i think if there was a if there was a between a, a win and a, and a draw like i really like the, the the fact that, that we saw a draw in wagayo because that's going to make the final leave even even more interesting cuz honestly either team has good chances of winning the game and and we are for sure going to be seeing either either a win but either one of the two teams or penalties. And I think that if we had seen one of the teams, like Juan Caillou win in Juan Caillou and then Crisal win in Lima, it would have been kind of anticlimactic uh, to just have that go to penalties, you know? So, uh, I mean, I think it, it set, set itself up for, for a good game to, um, in Lima.
0: Yeah, I agree with every point there. Uh, Jandeso definitely did surprise me. I thought uh, he didn't really have it in the tank anymore, but he still does. He's still a quality player. He just... We did get a question relating uh, Jan so We'll get to that in a little bit. But, yeah, no, it was a good game. I think um, Yuya was the player of the match, or at least the player for one. Caio. The player of the match is probably Johan Madrid, in my opinion. And um, Yuya was just un- impeccable that uh, that night or that afternoon, or whatever you want to call it. But he was so he was so good on, on the dribble. It, it, well, Klistal couldn't stop him, basically. The only problem with Yuya, and this is kind of a concern I have overall as awesome, him because Seems to be an ongoing problem. His final pass is a bit poor, and uh, it's he was like I said, he was impeccable. But why didn't he impact the game more? Because his final pass was poor. He he made some good crosses, but whenever he had to pass it on the ground, it was always a misplaced pass. And it was just that's just that's my main worry for him if he's ever to move somewhere else because that's that's a mistake that you probably can get away with in other places as much. So yeah, he's really he's a really good player, but. He's got to he's got to get it better with his end product. I think it's
1: grounded in product, anyways. You know what are your thoughts on this match? What do you agree with me, and Christopher? I do. Uh, Jean Desa was definitely um, surprisingly brilliant. I will say that. Uh, Yuya completely agree with you on there. Um, I think I saw just building on your uh, discussion about his final ball in the final third. I think he only completed, I think maybe a third of his passes, like in and around the box on the ground. Um, I was counting after a while, and at least in the second half, that's what the number came out to. Um, And, you know, he, he was still fantastic, no question about it. And I think Juan Caio definitely played well enough to win that game. And if they play like they did in the first leg, then they can easily come out victorious in the second leg as well. Um, but this was just a classic sporting degree style performance in that they they bend but don't break. They circumvent their weaknesses by just quickly getting the ball up to their difference makers. And in this case, uh in the game, it was once again Gabriel Costa, to a lesser degree Flavio Gomez, calzaterra also to a lesser degree, and of course Herrera, who kind of had that slightly lucky deflection that fell to Costa for the goal. Um But it's so interesting when you look at Cristal's kind of shooting numbers, they are incredibly clinical. They have finished, I think it is 28% of all their shots have turned into a goal. And if you take away one match where they attempted an astounding 25 shots, I think it was against Ayacucho in this game, then they end up having about a 32% conversion rate. So basically a third of all their shots end up becoming goals. Um, and they average 11 or 12 shots a game, and guess what? They had 12 shots in this game uh, and actually had more shots on target than Juan Caio did. So that is, kind of goes to show you how wasteful Juan Caio were um, because basically any other day you would almost favor them to win, especially going up against two center backs like Merlo and uh, Revolredo, who I think Revolredo anyways in his case was all right, and Madrid, as Brian mentioned, was, was quite solid. Out of all the Cristal defenders, probably the best one.
0: I also wanted to mention that I don't think the two um I want to let's say marquee strikers they didn't perform very well. I thought uh, Herrera was kind of a I I'm not gonna say isolated he definitely wasn't isolated but I thought Colombo had him in his pocket. I thought Colombo did really well in that match. Yeah, he still got the assist. That was a pass, Peter. It was not deflected. I thought it was deflected too, but it was actually a pass. Yeah, and um, it wasn't an assist because uh, Costa got the shot first and it was saved and then he got another shot. So it was technically wasn't an assist. But I thought uh, Herrera was uh, was he was, he was uh, marked very well by Colombo, and he it was a part of the defender who gave him the most trouble all season so far. And um, yeah, no, I, I thought Noem in general, unlike Herrera, I thought he was actually poor in general. I thought his, well, his headers were always going upward and never 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 heading towards anything. It was just like it was just nothing. Um, the, the crosses were good, but he he was always kind of. Uh, marked by I want to say two players, maybe maybe two. I don't exactly remember the situations he was in, but I remember the headers were always upwards and it just wasn't heading to anything. So Nylon was poor. The two strikers were quite poor. And I also um I also think uh the two fullbacks were quite good as well. Corrales and Cleque, they did well going forward. But overall it was uh it wasn't the most I mean the first half was kind of dull. The second half's a lot better in my opinion. It was, a, it was a more tactical clash, if anything. I thought uh, – I've always preached about how Juan Kai was a fortress at home, but this season they've not been that. This season they've been better away from home, which is kind of weird when you consider their history. They're usually a terrible away team, and this season they've been they've been lethal away from home. So Cristal's got to watch out for that, but it, it's going to be a lot harder to beat Cristal away from home than uh y who have been shocking this season. So I think this is – um. This is definitely a test. Definitely a test to see who who is the best moment who's the best team proof for the moment. So I can definitely see the um some of the some of the teams that uh, getting picked apart in uh in the in the transfer window, which we can talk about a little later, but first we got a question uh from we got one question about relating this
1: match or John rather, Peter, could you read that for us? Yes, we did. Uh, Abel Gamarra at Avalanda 81 asked us, is it too late? Mm-hmm for John Dessa to reach his potential. I know Christopher mentioned it kind of slightly there, but uh, yeah, uh, so Christopher, if you want to maybe continue the point you were maybe alluding <laughs> to, you may.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I've I've always, a lot of people in Peru talk about Raymond Manco, right? As the promise player, the next Messi that we never had. To me, uh, a generation later maybe, to me that player would be John Dessa. I think he had a bright future after that after that South American championship, where we saw Jordi Reyna go abroad, where we saw Cristian Benavente uh, join the national team. I mean, a lot of the players from that generation, including uh, Oreja Flores, kind of uh, succeeded, and, and Yandesa unfortunately had that, that Peruvian boy attitude of going abroad and just disappearing off the face of the earth. Right? And he, he went to France, he went to another a few co- other countries in Europe, and he he disappeared. Honestly, I, I think I'm not sure, but the rumor is that you know it's it was kind of like a Gomez situation that never got better, right? Uh, just the poor discipline, that wouldn't show up to the stuff that you know to trainings. He would be, show up too late, a few days late. He would report late to his team when he needed to come back, and and so is it too is it too late? I don't think so. I think it's too early to say right now, obviously. I think he's just barely coming back. Uh, he was supposed to play for Sport Huancayo last season and he did not. And I'm not forgiven for that. Uh, por Rosario. What was that? Por Rosario, you said Oh Sport Rosario. Yes, Sport Rosario. Most certainly. <laughs> uh, uh and so the fact that he's coming back, let's give him let's give him a chance first. He said he had a good game, right? Let's Let's see him play 90 minutes. Let's see how he does this season. And if he has a decent season, I see him moving to a bigger cl- club in Peru, one of the big three, hopefully, right? And if he moves to the big three, then we can start talking about, okay, maybe he, he going abroad again. But so, I mean, basically what I'm trying to say is that I think this is still a few years in the making. I think he's not that old. He must be, what, 24, 25 right now? 24. Right. No. 24, right. So I think he has plenty of time. I think – even 26 might be a little bit late, but at 26, you can probably still make the jump abroad. And I would, that's kind of where I would expect him to make that jump. So let's not get our hopes up yet. Let's just observe him a little bit more and see where he goes.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I just, uh, we double checked his age. He is 24 years old. And I was just double checking where he started. He started at Cantolao. So I don't think he'll go there now because Cantolao is kind of below the football ladder than, um, and then one guy, Yeah, yeah, but Sport Boys might be an option because he's from Kyle, so that could be an option, but you never know. So, yeah, if you guys, if you guys don't have anything else to add to this match, I guess we move on to the proof of the broad section. Do you guys have anything else to say, Peter?
1: I do actually have one thing to say that we do need to mention, and it was probably the moment of the match for me. Uh You said Noman didn't really do too much. Picking up the dog, Brian, come on. <laughs> 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 Picking up... The dog was... <laughs>
0: That so dog was, was Mario
1: nothing. S- And and it was and it was amazing. <laughs> he just picked him up like it was nothing, gave him to the to, to the stadium worker, and that was it. He just he didn't want to waste any time. It was amazing. The dog, <laughs> was, the dog was Mario Salas'
0: dog. He was that's what rumor has it. He he threw really? the dog in the pitch to lose to time waste. <laughs> and unfortunately for one guy, of worked in his favor. So we'll Norman got the dog as quick as possible off the pitch. That was amazing. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great moment. But anyways, he's got proven to broad. So um I guess uh we have we have a lot of time to discuss this so i guess we will start with something that we didn't really plan before this part uh even zavila's situation uh, he was linked to alianza uh for a while but rumor has it that he's told alianza no i'm not going back to peru i'm staying in mexico so it, it's gonna be weird uh peter if lobos stays up uh, if they pay the money they need to pay to stay mm-hmm. up because this this whole Problem with the segunda division teams or the the Liga Ascenso teams, the essential MX teams, whatever you want to call it, that they can't go up because of the licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Avila, if he's, would he, would he, do you think that at Lobos Bob, or do you think another Liga MX team is going to pick him up?
1: Oh no, I think he'd stay. I mean, he had a contract there permanently, right? And I think that they do like him; they value him. I know that a lot of people just kind of looked at the numbers that they hadn't seen him and they look and see, well, okay, he didn't really score very much. He scored one goal in, what was it, 15, 16 games and assisted three times. Uh, That's not very impressive, but he played a completely different role than what he played at Cristal before he left for Mexico. Uh, More of a second striker, more of a a selfless, um, you know, getting everybody involved type of striker. And I think it really helped Lobos' attack. The problem is once Quiñones stopped scoring goals, once Gabriel Cortes was taken out of the 11, then the attack really, really suffered. And Avila basically had no one else to really pass it to. And Lobos as a, as a team, I think, really suffered as a result. Um, but I think that if they do stay up, if they paid the six and a half million US dollars to stay in the first division, which I believe they only have another week to actually meet that, um, then yeah, absolutely he'll stay. If not, I could maybe see another, maybe another team sort of in a Lobos situation. Uh wow. Other than that. Yeah.
0: So, Guerrero got back on pitch. That's big news, right? Uh, Christopher, why don't you give your thoughts on this? Uh, let's not talk about the actual uh, court, jurisdiction, whatever you want to call it. In, in sentence, let's talk about his return to the pitches. And um, what, what could it mean for his morale if he gets banned again? What
2: I, what I liked is that the coach, the, the coach could have put him as a sub on like the 85th minute, just kind of a symbolic coming back. To to you know soccer to the professional game, but instead he put him in a what like fifty to sixtieth minute about 60th right sixtieth minute. minute and so I think he he really showed Guerrero that look you still have the team's trust we still trust you we believe that you're a player that can actually change this you know things for us and you're not just like a super sub so obviously I think he needs to take it easy he needs to. You know, keep training, and then I think he, there's plenty of games between now and the World Cup for him to, to kind of get back to, to top shape. Uh, but I think the fans had a great reaction, right? I think the coach put him in at the right time to show him that he's actually an important player not just someone to kill time. And uh, from what I saw, his form was pretty good. I mean, for someone that, that hasn't played a professional game in that long, he, he, did, he had a pretty decent game. So I am... I'm hopeful that things will, will will work out for him, and I think that it was it was something uh, something nice to see him come back. The good
1: news is also adding to that point because he was a super sub technically in that game over the weekend. There are reports that he's going to start on Thursday mm-hmm. against Bonte Preta in the Brazilian Cup, so that is is great news. And completely agree with Christopher on on all those points. And I think the the great thing to see from Guerrero coming back onto the pitch was he looked like a man possessed. Like he just had an extra, and, and as you would expect, right. He's been out for seven months because he was injured before the, the, the ban came down. We were all wondering, Oh, is he going to be fit in time for New Zealand? Um, well, it didn't end up mattering of course. So, you know, he's been kind of like a tiger for seven months. And then the fact that you have everybody questioning his, his innocence and, and all that, he comes back onto the pitch and he just, completely transforms Flamengo's attack. Uh, Enrique Durado, I watched the game in full on Monday. Uh, Enrique Durado was doing absolutely nothing up front. As soon as Paolo came on, (laughs) the attack was amazing. And he was doing the, the typical Paolo stuff. He was holding up the ball, getting his teammates involved created a couple of chances with that, had a free kick that just missed wide, had a shot that went way over the bar, but we won't focus on that. Um, And, you know, he was drawing fouls and just being a general nuisance for the opposing defense. It's exactly what you want to see from Paulo Guerrero, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that he's going to be starting on Thursday is, I mean, at least allegedly at this point, is great. And uh, I will wrap it up before I I let Brian speak. Uh, Brian, how was that theory that uh, they don't want Paulo to play anymore for Flamengo?
0: Well wait till wait till Thursday, but <laughs> um Enrique Enrique that was Brazilian, so that might win
1: him a spot. <laughs> Who knows? Well he sucked, so I mean unless I'm to <laughs> keep keep blowing it, then sure. All right. Can't believe can't believe he, break. he was gonna some people calling for
0: him to get a Brazil call last year. I mean he's just another joke. Come on, let's oh, be yeah. honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> Those
1: four goals, it's nothing else. That's... He didn't even score uh, goals. God he was poor in that game. He was terrible. Anyways,
0: um, Another thing we should mention, we should bring up. There's a lot of proven abroad news move, uh, this week. There's a lot proven abroad news this week. Jefferson Buffon won the title, and I, uh, I I saw a few stats, and it surprised me. I forgot they won titles at all clubs except for um, Shockey. Well, and now Europe. I don't count them, so I don't count them. As, yeah, know. that's
2: something we all want to forget. That whole Saudi Arabia thing. That wasn't even Saudi
0: Arabia, so that just tells you how much it mattered to us. It was. It was
2: the <laughs> United Arab Emirates. Uh close enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, ashamed of myself. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We all No, know don't
0: that. be. No nobody, I don't think anyone knows
2: whether clubs from some Arabic countries. Our fans in Saudi Arabia from. must be raging right now. Saudi Arabia has some
0: big clubs in Asia, to be fair. Ankilan is one of the biggest clubs in Asia, but Al Jazeera isn't, as far as I'm aware. But that's what this part is about jefferson farfana has won a title in most of his clubs uh won a one of a title in three of his five clubs let's put it that way it was that's not taking away his brilliant thought shock either but you want to think two titles with uh Alianza. he won i think four with psv and now with locomotive he won one he um they i don't know who they dethrone, but that Zenit side looked really good at the start of the year everyone was raving at all the argentinians then locomotive comes in once w- the um wins the league now, to be fair, they have a really good squad. I really rate the two marriage of brothers. I rate Fernandez. I rate Jefferson Fafan, of course. So it's I guess it doesn't come to a real surprise that they've won it, but they just broke a hoodoo. They broke a, I think 13, 14 fourteen-year hoodoo that went fourteen years. Fafan, definitely has it. I don't think Fafan's the main reason they won it because they have some really good players, like I said. But he, him coming in was part of that overhaul that they did, and uh, they won the league because of that. So. I'm glad I, I thought Formano was finished, but he-, he had a slow start in the locomotive and then he kind of just gradually gained form. He got better and better. So, great season to him, and I hope he keeps up for the World Cup. What do you guys think, uh, Peter? I'll let you talk. You haven't been able to talk too much today.
1: Well, first of all, I think he was absolutely a main reason why they won. He's their top scorer in all competitions, top scorer in the league. Um, he was a threat even when he hasn't been scoring, which he hasn't been over the past few weeks. I think he is kind of the glue that's held that attack together in a lot of ways. Um, Because he's played on either flank, he's played in the number 10 role, he's played as a false nine, and done a very good job in all four roles. Um, And I think for for Yuri Semen's side, he's been terrific. uh, Because, you know, Spartak Moscow won the league last year. Uh, Carrera, the uh, former um, assistant of Antonio Conte, took over the team and basically won it in a near landslide. Locomotive, uh, which I believe was actually led by a former assistant sporting director at Schalke, which is why Farfan actually ended up on the team in the first place, because of course he knew him from his time at Schalke. Um, the side was completely transformed, and you know it's it's kind of a, I think a completion of a journey for Farfan. In that when he went to the UAE, we all figured that okay, he's probably going to collect his paycheck. Fair enough, you know, athletes are entitled to make as much money as they possibly can in what is a, a very short career. Mm-hmm. He's going to go back to Peru, maybe go back to Alianza for a couple of years and then retire. Um, but to his credit, he went back to Europe. He challenged himself. He overcame yet another long-term injury, which he has been plagued by for you know a number of years in his career, unfortunately. And he became the, the leading man in the side, got back into the national team. A lot of people were, were kind of, you know, there were mixed reactions about it. I know Brian was a little bit iffy about it, and it was totally fair enough. Um, but he silences critics, and if it wasn't for Farfan, let's be honest, Peru might not have, or at least would have had an even bigger challenge against New Zealand. Um, right. Because that goal against New Zealand, I think you heard it in Peredo's voice, rest in peace, Daniel Peredo, um, and you also saw it in the Peruvians' reaction that his goal just kind of relieved everybody's tension. Um, and it was like, okay, finally we got that goal. Peru can play the way that they want. And, um, you know, obviously they ended up winning it and qualifying for the World Cup. So it, it's nice to see that his hard work and his dedication and kind of rediscovering himself at the age of 33 has ended up in a title. Um, his contract I know is up. He's trying to negotiate a new deal. Uh, Galatasaray is interested if they can't get a deal done. But I assume he's going to say a locomotive, and they're going to do everything possible to keep him there. I prefer locomotive to be honest, because the Turkish league. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm
0: no disrespect. I think the Turkish league is a decent league, and uh, he'll be used to the atmosphere there as well. But uh, the Turkish league, they do they do have a big what's the word? They do have a big uh, they do have a big want for profile, kind of like China does. And mm-hmm. it's not always about the talent they get. Like, Robin Van Persie, they brought him in when he was uh, absolutely finished. And uh, there's, uh, I think, no, After have to play in Russia. My bad. Um, but there's, uh, there's a few other players I've gone there that were absolutely Pepe. finished. Who? Pepe. Oh, uh, Pepe? Pepe, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: for yeah. sure. Well, Pepe's, I also Pepe's, think of... Pepe's, Pepe's actually been, well, was really good for Beshik just before he got hurt. So he's actually been a good signing. But yeah, in yeah. general, I mean, the other thing about Turkey, too, is that they do have a foreigner limit, right? And you they have to be very selective about that. Yes, Farfan would be terrific for Galatasaray. They're fighting for the league. It's actually been a really exciting title race in Turkey. Um, but, yeah, I think if, if you were to pick one or the other, stay at the place where you're obviously settled, where you're going to be playing in the Champions League next year directly in the group stage because you won the title. Um, I think it's a no-brainer. I think, I think
0: Russia has more competition as well because... In Turkey you have right you have fenerbahce you have Besetas and you have Balasekir. But um after that, who else do you have? I mean you have a few other sides that may challenge you, but not much. They're like the bragas, basically. Uh there's really only four there's really only four strong sides in the division. Whereas in Russia, I'm looking right now, Zenit is in fifth. That's that's quite shock that's quite shocking, especially considering the hype that they had right before the start of the season. Freaking players like Dirusi, Paredes, yeah. Um. And it's, it just hasn't worked out for them. There's Krasnodar, system Moscow, Spartak. Not, oh, and Dynamo, of course. Uh, I'll also throw in Ruben, Cassandra, Rostov, even though they've been awful this season. They're, they're always, they're, they've always been sides that have kind of challenged the, challenged the top uh, top the division, especially Rostov. Rostov took the, the federal race a few years back, and uh, it, it's, it hasn't been until Naboa left them where they really began to fall. But, yeah, it, I remember, remember when they beat Bayern a few years ago, Rostov. So... They're not – there are no mugs at all. So they're I – th- I think they're definitely – for a bunch in Russia, especially Lokomotiv is going to have Champions League football next year. Uh, Galatashari probably will as well, but uh, Lokomotiv, I think I think he's identifying himself as Lokomotiv for now. I think he should stay. I don't think he should – I don't think he should become a journeyman. So I think he should just stay where he is right now and just win another title, Lokomotiv, try to defend his title. I can imagine one of the Mary Chuk brothers will be off probably after the World Cup. So that that's gonna worry, but I think Fernandez and we are gonna stay there. So the side gonna be strong for the few years to come. Now, who else are we going to talk about? Uh, Peter, I'll let you go to this next one. Who do you think? Who do you think is the next one that uh, should uh, we should talk about?
1: Um, I think only because he is a lock locked on starter, and I myself had concerns about him. I think we should talk about Yoshimar Yotún. Um, yes, he yes. has been absolutely tremendous for Orlando City over the last six weeks. Um, I gave Brian a lot of flack for uh, doubting, or not doubting, but showing concern over some Peruvian players uh, in the recent past, like Carrillo, uh, Farfán, of course, uh, ruy Diaz at the start of the clausura, and they ended up kind of proving him wrong and going into sensational form. Well, you know, Yotun was also in that camp for me because he started the season with Orlando kind of slowly, He was indisciplined. We saw that with Peru, of course, getting sent off against Croatia. Um, And even when he came in to Orlando last summer, I mean, yes, they were struggling. And, of course, he has to adjust to a new team and country midseason. But he wasn't the same player that we necessarily saw at Malmo. But that has completely changed over the last six weeks. And it's coincided with Orlando winning six straight games. Jotun is second in MLS in assists with five assists, um, primarily due to the fact that he takes their corners and they've scored a lot of goals off corners this year. Um, But he's instrumental in that midfield. Everything goes through him. He is so classy on the ball, very fluid, um, you know, executes, tackles very, very well, recovers possession, sprays the ball across the pitch. um, And he's doing this all in his regular role on the left side of a diamond. And I think that is also a major contributor to his turnaround in that he was playing on the right side to start the season, which made absolutely no sense. And he did struggle. He moves over to the left, and the team starts playing well, and he starts playing well. So that's a good good sight for Peru that one of their obviously one of their key players is is in form heading into the World Cup.
0: Yeah, he's improved a lot, especially in Orlando's winning run. Right now, I can't say I've seen a whole lot of U uh, Tun as much as you have. So I'll just throw it over to Christopher. Christopher, what do you think on uh, this one?
2: It's been um, it's been a a good surprise to hear the American press. Kind of uh, start talking about him because uh, obviously when they talked about Orlando, they would always talk about Kaka, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jotun seems to have taken some a bit of a leadership role within the team also, and so it's it's been kind of it's been kind of cool as a fan of Peru to to hear the American press kind of get interested in Jotun and get interested in Peru itself and in you know the the history behind. Our our historic return to the World Cup and all of that, and kind of see Yotun as a leader both in his club and as a leader also in the national team. I mean, honestly, what what would we do without Yotun in the midfield for us? You know, I think I think he's a very important player. Player, he's a key player, and he feels pretty comfortable uh, in in Florida. You know, there's a pretty big Hispanic community. He said that he likes he likes it there. He likes the weather. Who wouldn't like the weather in Florida, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think um, I think it's good. I I think the only bad thing about all of this is that he scored a goal against Real sol Lake, which is my my local MLS team. So you know that was. <laughs> but but other than that, uh, it's like I was sad the Real Salt Lake lost because they've been doing really bad in MLS. But at the same time, I was really happy that Youtoo got to score a goal uh, I, with his team.
0: I didn't want to say though that um. And this is not really Peru related. This is more like I'm segueing into a Peru argument here that before, like I want to say maybe even five years ago, uh, the MLS was viewed as a retirement league. And some clubs still do this, like LA Galaxy, Chicago Fire, still having this problem. But signings like the two and other signings that the MLS teams need to make uh, in order to, for the league to progress, I mean, this is like the, this is like the new version of the MLS where the Miron, Yoshimari, So maybe they should maybe a few other Peruvians sign for the MLS. Isn't that bad? At, isn't that bad at all? Because sure, the league is very Americanized, you could say, which is totally understandable because it's in America, of course. But it's, 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 <laughs> and Canada, Brian, don't forget Canada. <clears throat> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, those there's, guys. There's, there's
0: a huge market for uh, Peruvian players. There's a good market for Peruvian players in the USA, of course and yeah um as long as it's not uh, as long as it's not someone like paulo that i for the mls then that is um that I, I, it has to be someone like a your quality i think and i think they'll be fine and if they're uh designated players it's even better to get the respect and get the starting minutes because at this point they have to so it's um yeah it's not i, I don't think it's such a bad thing it, it, the mls is gonna progress like that for sure uh, not not like signing Fernando Torres or shrine Tiger, winning the World Cup Chicago Fire. <laughs> 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 that is not what makes the honest good. But anyways, uh, one more player we can talk about, and this this is getting a lot of requests in the chat, so uh, I'm kind of been ignoring them for now, but no, no, we're not going to ignore this player. Pablo uh, Hurtado, do you think he – I don't think it's will Carrillo starting spot, but do you think he deserves to take one of Carrillo or Cueva's starting spot given mean, his former Portugal this season? Peter?
1: Uh, I mean, based on his form, yes, because Carrillo's currently injured. He hasn't played for Watford. Javi Gracia doesn't consider him. Um, and it's intriguing to me because he plays as a number 10 for Vitória de Guimaraes. Yet a lot of their attacks go down the wings because Heldon and Rafinha, two of their best players, play out wide. So a lot of their attacks filter through the wings. And as a result, Urtalo either drifts to the to the wing or he will just quickly play it out to the wingers who will then kind of cut in and score. Or they'll pass it into the, whoever the central striker happens to be that day and he will score. Uh, and yet despite that, he has 13 goals in all competitions, 11 in the league, second uh, out of all of his teammates behind uh, Rafinha. And he has five assists. Uh, again, second on the team behind Heldon. So Despite this, he's still been able to contribute very, very well to the team. Yes, he takes penalties, which maybe skews the numbers a little bit, um, but he's converting them with relative ease. He's playing well. And, you know, with the few touches he does have on the ball, he's making the most of them. And I think the big uh, sort of X factor for him is that you have a player who can play in two different roles. Now, when you name the 23-man squad, that positional flexibility is massive. So if you have someone who can play on the right and as a number 10, then that means that you can basically fill two spots with one player. Um, and I'm sure Gareca is going to use that to his advantage when it comes time to name the final 23-man squad. Yeah,
0: and uh, Christopher, do you have any comments on Hurtado before
2: we move on to the last bit of the podcast? No, I, th- I think I would agree. I think Hurtado is in a great situation right now. The fact that he's scoring goals... Which is something that we've always complained about with Carrillo, and the fact that Carrillo hasn't really played that many minutes right now, uh, this year and the this season. I think that yeah, that if I was caretaker, I would seriously seriously consider replacing, or, or giving giving Urtalo a permanent spot in the in the national team. Obviously, there's a lot of time till so we see the, a few more friendlies and uh, the World Cup and whatnot. But but yeah, I think he's in a really good spot, and uh, hopefully. After the World Cup, uh, we see him, you know, maybe moving to a bigger club. Who knows? All right. So um, before we end the pod, there's one more thing we have to talk about,
0: and that is a request by Christopher Biscardo. We weren't planning to talk about this <laughs> part, but I'm totally fine of it. So <laughs> second episode update, there is a uh, Cienciano's not a game yet. That's what we wanted going to talk about. And what... <laughs> 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 I <can't laughs> know head nod right there. Since not won a game yet, Chechivarra has been sacked. He's still not winning. What is going on? Christopher, what do you think is going on? At the top? Oh,
2: my god! They oh. have a brilliant squad, but they're not doing it right now. Uh, I don't know. I think Chechivarra is not uh, – he's just not that good of a trainer, you know. <laughs> just to give a brief history of Chechivarra, basically this Argentine guy – that played for almost every club there was in Peru well, as a player, right? And then he also transitioned in his, you know, in his late thirties into being both a player and a coach at the same time. And he was kind of a, a novelty, right? He I believe he still has the record for the most goals score in in the history of uh, of the Peruvian uh, first division. It was weird he's he's an torn history and it was crap. It was it a was, it was <laughs> yeah, total he was old, and it was funny, he would score goals and he would celebrate like an old man, you know, like hunchback with his cane, just to like <laughs> show everyone that he was old and he was still scoring goals. But anyways, I, oh my goodness, it is really sad to see a team like Cienciano, such a historic team for Peru, doing so poorly, right? Of course, we, if you remember, Sport Boys was kind of in the same situation a few years back where it was like... Two or three points, and they would have gone down to Copa Peru, also, right? It's early in the tournament; things can still be turned around. But like Cienciano as a team, the whole team—it was so weird. And Not this last, not this week, but last week in the game against uh, Cesar Vallejo, it was almost like they didn't want to really, you know, they give him their space. It was like, oh, Cesar Vallejo has the ball. Okay, we'll, we'll just let him let him have it. There was like no pressuring. The team seemed to just kind of stay back. And and let Vallejo create the plays, and then maybe try to pressure them, but not really. It was, I don't know. It was really weird. Uh, but hope well. Things turned around a little bit this 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 week in their game against Guadalajara on the road. They lost again, one zero. Better than losing four to zero at home, obviously. And things are looking a, little, a bit better uh, for Sienia. And I'm really hoping that this will be. A, they have a new coach, and I hope I hope that with this new coach. Things will improve for Cienciano. Now, you have Cienciano on one side, right? The historic team from Peru doing poorly in second division. And then you also have Hualgayoc, which is a small team from the small city in Cajamarca, out in the middle of nowhere, some people would say, right? And they are doing amazing, right? They are second only behind because of goal difference uh, from uh, Universidad Cesar Vallejo. They have uh, Maltese, an Italian coach, who also coached uh, Sporankash. Uh, during their their great run in uh, 2016, uh, they have Ronaldo Calera, and and they're doing really well. So it's it's been an interesting, it's been kind of weird, but it's been pretty interesting to see to the to see the second division tournament.
0: Yeah, no, one well, was is kind of an uprising side. I can see them go up in a few years, if not this year. Cincinnati um, luckily have the playoffs to make. I mean, that wasn't our option before. Now it is. So their season's not totally done yet. They uh, still have a chance to make the playoffs and hopefully go up there. But we'll see what happens. So that's going to be the end of this pod. Uh, I'm your host, Luis Scola, and I will end the pod here. <laughs> my, my Twitter handle is b underscore
2: 98 And, um, Christopher, what's your Twitter handle? I am V I Z underscore FC. I, I almost forgot, but not quite. Uh, I had this problem last week too. And, and Peter Galindo has been giving me crap about it all week. But anyways, what's your Twitter handle, Peter?
0: All right, this, go ahead. Right, Peter, what's your Twitter handle?
1: <laughs> My Twitter handle is at Galindo PW, and you can follow the show and the website at Peru Waltz. All right. So thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week.
0: Con Rubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal, González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo, completan la selección.